Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential, along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We talk about the old cliche how necessity is the mother of invention. Well, as we've seen time and again, that is certainly true in the private sector, but it's also true among nonprofits and purpose-driven businesses that are more concerned about making a difference than making money. Often it is during the worst of times, during crises or hardships or conflagrations and controversies that people see opportunities to help those most in need or dismantle systems of oppression or come together in new ways to make things better. Joining me to discuss this is Casey Phillips of The Walls Projects, which you may remember we talked about on this show in 2022 with Casey's colleague. Well, he's here today to tell us about a different initiative that has the potential to really address Baton Rouge's systemic problems in new ways. It's called the One Rouge Coalition, and it's a partnership between The Walls Project, which works to break down the societal walls in our community, and Metromorphosis, the Reverend Raymond Jetson's nonprofit that seeks to transform urban communities from within. One Rouge Coalition was created in 2021 and has brought together 400 organizations in the community to address the economic and social disparities in Baton Rouge through a framework that has identified nine drivers of poverty and then created coalitions to tackle each one by breaking down its parts and working together, what's known in the nonprofit world as collective impact. Casey is a music industry entrepreneur who spent more than a decade away from Baton Rouge before moving back in 2011 to found the Walls Project. And it's been so impactful in that more than a decade now. Casey, it's a pleasure to have the Walls Project back and to have you here for the first time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Stephanie. I appreciate you. With me and Casey at the table today is Amber Elworth, owner of Lighthouse Coffee, a coffee shop with the unique and much needed mission of supporting migrants by providing them with opportunities for employment, a space to sell handcrafted items they've made, and just a safe space where they're welcomed and included. Amber and her husband founded the shop in 2017. At the time, she was working at Catholic Charities in Baton Rouge as a social worker with its Immigration and Refugee Services Division. She got to know a lot of the migrants coming into our community and recognized the need for a place like Lighthouse. Today, the coffee shop also has grown in popularity, expanded its menu to lunch and dinner, secured a liquor license to serve beer and wine, and it employs migrants in Baton Rouge as well. Amber, it is such a wonderful space, popular with LSU students as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Out to Lunch. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, Casey, I'm going to start with you about the One Rouge Coalition. It, it really kind of came about during the pandemic, if that's right, and the crises of 2020, even though you and, and Reverend Jetson had a close relationship going back several years. So how did this idea really come about? And, and I said that right, 400 institutions that have been a part of it? Yeah, 400 organizations. Wow. So, um, you know, COVID, um, you know, at this point, at three years into it, 
you know, people almost like they kind of have a fatigue with it, but the reality is that COVID is still with us. Um, the ramifications on the education system for our kids, uh, the ramifications economically for our workforce, they're being felt every day, right? And, we, you know, I'm not saying that we had a crystal ball in March of 2020, but it was very clear and present when everything shut down that moments of great disruption um, impact people um, with the, less the least resources possible. And so we thought that it would be invaluable to start pulling everyone together. We almost treated it like a hurricane response. Um, and we started pulling together all the nonprofits that we had worked with for all those years of the MLK Festival of Service in North Baton Rouge, um, all of our municipal and state agency partners and the mayor's office and started convening um, Friday calls on Zoom. Um, wow. And we have now, I think we're in our 144th week of Friday calls. It averages 60 to 70 organizations every Friday for 90 minutes. And we focus on one of the nine drivers of poverty every single week to highlight thought leaders, um, primarily locally, um, but from around the region to, that are addressing that and expand everyone's understanding of the fact that if you work in education, the fact that people don't have access to transportation actually has a huge impact on that. And if you're talking about economic well-being for all your citizens, well, you have to understand how the lack of equal pay in Louisiana is greatly impacting the family structure and people's ability to be able to be in the workforce. And so those Friday calls then evolved into something much greater, but I'll take a breath okay. and move to the next. Okay, we'll come back to that then. Amber, Lighthouse also, in my recollection, so correct me if I'm wrong, came about during the migrant crises, really, in the late 2017, those years, um, when we were really feeling the pain from that, you know, and, and at Catholic Charities, where I know you worked, y'all were doing so much to help these yeah. people that were coming into our community and our country. Is, and that's where the idea really was born? Yes. So I had, I have been teaching as a, a volunteer for probably seven years as an e English teacher. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a student from Iraq. And just through getting to know her, she, she had health issues. And so she, she really wasn't able to work. She was like 60 years old. She was here by herself. And through her and just realizing how much she has to navigate yeah. with with little English, with not being able to drive, she had vision problems. So she was just very, very dependent. And, you know, the Catholic Charities does a phenomenal job, but they, there's a lot of uh, things that they offer that is only for nine months. And after nine months, refugees are supposed to be linguistically and culturally sufficient after nine months to be able to provide for their family. Which is an insurmountable hurdle, right? I mean, who, it's can, impossible. who can do that in nine months? No. Maybe with no background in English, for instance. No right. connections in the community. I mean, Catholic Charities does an amazing job, but they're just underfunded, understaffed, um, under-resourced. And so being a fly on the wall so I worked there as their English their ESL teacher and where my office was situated I, I could overhear all these different conversations from the, the coordinator the director and I was just overwhelmed that of the need and you know those caseworkers 
they are just exhausted all the time. And I was like, okay, what can we do as, you know, not nonprofit workers and social workers, but just the everyday person. And I just think a lot of people don't know. And yeah, so I just wanted an avenue where we could educate the public and tell their stories and and just help them and and come alongside Catholic Charities. And Still, it's it's a pretty amazing story though because it is a great idea that springs from a an impulse that hopefully many humans would share, not all of them, I'm afraid. But you were able to build a successful business in in five years, really. So I want to hear how that happened. But Casey, I want to bring you back into the conversation because there's so much intersection between y'all and and. And the One Rouge Coalition, I mean, poverty, inequality, those are just huge problems. And it, y'all are really very systemic about breaking them down. Like I'm imagining a big grid with all sorts of, right? Very unique approach, very sort of almost technical approach. Tell us a little bit about it because there was a lot of jargon on your website about it. How, how is it working out and how does it really work? Yeah, how does it really work? And good, I can shift to plain speak um, as a private sector kind of human that works in the nonprofits uh, space. Um, ultimately, there was a study by HUD in 1978 uh, around the eight hypotheses of poverty. And that study, um, obviously, it's 2023. So the, the, the problem is more prevalent, right? The divides are getting wider. And when our work in Dallas, Texas, the, their city did a poverty task force study around these nine drivers of poverty. And so it was just a pretty piece of shelf art, right? Full of a lot of jargon. Mm-hmm. And we had a great partner there that pulled it off the shelf, put it in our hands, and we brought it back to Baton Rouge and started painting murals around those nine drivers of poverty and holding living room sessions, salon sessions, um, and started bringing other partners who do that kind of work uh, to the forefront as we painted the murals to just raise awareness. And that was in 2019. And so as time went on um, in in the pandemic hit, uh, Raymond from Metromorphosis and Sharita Harrison, um, we all came together and we said, here's the problem with the nonprofit sector is that not because of passion and heart and even know-how, everyone's working in silos. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a judgment. It's that people just get so into their mission, they can't also, when you start talking about poverty, it's so big. It's so hard to unpack it that it almost shuts down the solutions because people are like, well, yeah, but. Um, yeah, that's a good idea, but this. And so the idea is, is that we created nine coalitions around these nine drivers that all have intersectionality. The first intersectionality is people. There are people suffering in our community that don't just, they're not just food insecure. They also are underemployed. You have immigrants who English is a second language. That's ESL acronym for everybody real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said, these individuals have a hard time even navigating federal benefits, even if they do qualify for them, right? So you take all these individuals that slip through the cracks and you start seeing very quickly, it's actually a majority of people in our city. And so the idea is to actually take people, these wonderful organizations, these 400 organizations that are working in their lane and not only making them aware of the challenges and the solutions in the other lanes, but finding the people who are intersectional in that work and surrounding them 
with these uh, services, surrounding them with these resources, and ultimately, and when you can't get those services to the people that need them, well then there's a policy issue, and that's when you start getting into the systematic policy work. And so that's the approach that we have with metamorphosis. And so is the, is the goal, or maybe at least the goal at this point, to make other nonprofit, make all the nonprofit leaders aware and connect them to each other, or do you all actually come up with programming, say, um, that might involve the different organizations? Yeah, said, or both. I'm gonna channel my inner Raymond Jetson and say it as clearly as possible. We are not creating more nonprofit programs. I don't, you know, you hear a lot of times on the street, there's too many nonprofits. I'm not here to really de debate that, defend it, or say either way. There's a lot of great 501c3s doing incredible work with their programs. The idea is almost like an orchestra, a conductor in an orchestra, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea of coordinating all these great programs together, not only to share resources and best practices, but to impact people amplify their impact that's part of the coalition work but to take it out of the cloud and down to the ground right um, we've been doing the capital area food equity coalition for three years now and to create a shared understanding to set the conditions for the american heart association their voices for healthy kids to invest into the policy work and there are three sub grantees they include our lady of the lake hospital cpex and the three o'clock project all three of those you would say well what do they have in common they're approaching the issue of childhood hunger and access to fresh food from completely different parts, systems, urban planning, and practitioner. Nice. And when you start working in concert together on that policy together, then you start moving the needle not just for those organizations, but for the other 120 organizations that are in the Food Equity Coalition. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Casey Phillips of the One Rouge Coalition and Amber Elworth of Lighthouse Coffee. Amber, let's talk about you had a, a, a very specific idea about how you were going to attack this problem. How did you and your husband build a coffee shop business? And did he have experience in this arena or y'all started from, from ground zero? So the only experience that we had, so I've never taken a business class in my life. Um, however, Steve has a finance degree, and so we did have that. That's um, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, him and our other business partner, like, keep us afloat. I'm the visionary. I'm always like, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. And they always are reining me in. So, um, so yeah, we had both had a love for coffee. I specifically had a passion for the coffee space mm -hmm. and um, there was a, a coffee shop on LSU's campus that was very near and dear to my heart. And it was just, it was common grounds. It was like inside of a church. And it was just a, became a community for me. And I just loved it. And I just wanted to create something like that. And um, yeah, I can't say I particularly had much experience. I was kind of just driven by the vision. That's excellent. And and y'all put a business plan together and were able to get a bank financing or you raised money from friends and family? Yeah, we put get put together a business plan. We basically asked every smart person that we knew mm -hmm. a billion questions and we just learned from them. And we, we had investors, um, we had a lot of social capital and we kind of put together a presentation and yeah, we raised uh, about, 
and and that was the start. Mm -hmm. And how many migrants have you employed over the years? So whenever Trump was elected, that really put a halt on um, us being able to help as many people. Because there weren't as many coming. Right. They, there weren't hardly any coming into Baton Rouge. And um, so we kind of just invested in the few that we had for a while. Um, the recent crisis going on in Afghanistan, we've been able to hire uh, four from Afghanistan. So total over the past five years, probably about 10. Okay. And then you supplement that, obviously, with regular employees. But does any money generated by the coffee shop go to migrant issues? I know y'all y'all sell uh, some handcrafted goods that are made by women in other countries or, you know, or local artisans as well. Yeah, so Rebecca Gardner, who owns the Hope Shop, um, she actually started at Lighthouse Coffee with just having, you know, a few shelves. And she expanded to have her own brick and mortar. But um, the Hope Shop is products that are either made by refugees, people coming out of sex trafficking, poverty, um, war, whatever. And um, a lot of people come in and be like, hey, y'all have such cute stuff. Would, would you be willing to sell my stuff? And like, actually, we're kind of exclusive to who we choose to, uh, to sell here because, you know, we are passionate about helping the, these people. Um, so we do that, we, we source our coffee ethically through direct trade sourcing. And we've been able to, I was looking at some old pictures and I was just reminded of some things that have happened over the fi past five years. Like we helped um, people pass the citizenship test and are now citizens. We help people um, get their driver's license. Um, at our Christmas party this, this past Christmas, there, we had a secret Santa, and we surprised one of our refugee employees who takes the bus every day with a bike. Wow. And um, so, I mean, hearing, you know, about you, Casey, I'm, I'm really inspired because, like, what we do is very, very small scale. Like, we've only been able to, you know, impact a couple handfuls of people, but... Our staff, like I really, when we're doing orientation with new employees, I really try to cast that vision to them. And I'm, a lot of people apply to work for us. And so I'm able to be picky. Yeah. And so like our other American employees, they like catch the vision too. And they are using their own vehicles to help them practice driving. They will go over and have tea and go into the homes of the refugees and take them to the grocery store or the doctor and so it's really been neat that's so excellent so much need that you're working to address casey tell me about the um the structure of the coalition and really do you all look to measure outcomes or you know and and does the coalition as an organization get funding say from grants or is it more again just um, a connector among nonprofits yeah so the Friday calls was obviously you know we just popped open zoom shout out to the entire walls project uh, team with Helena and Samantha 
Um, and Tom, give it up for the CFOs in the world that make really big ideas work. Tom Donnelly is ours. And, um, but you know, when it, when it started to move towards the, the coalitions itself, um, we went out and we, know that we knew that we needed someone um, who was incredibly talented. And so we found a, um, a lawyer, a food equity lawyer out of New Orleans. Her name is Pepper Roussel. Um, she's fierce and kind but fierce and uh, she's an equity warrior. And so the idea is is that through Collective um, Impact 3.0, you really create a framework where our leadership council, the co-chairs and the coalition members, they're the ones who are running the coalitions. Um, it's not, we're the backbone organization, the back office. Um, we are the conveners and we are there to make sure that we hit milestones on a quarterly basis. Um, but it is not something to strategic plan because true collective impact um, isn't from the top down. It has to be from the from the bottom up. 100%. And, and that is sort of the direction you see the nonprofit world going in or smart thinkers in the nonprofit space. But it sounds very good on paper and it's very mm -hmm. hard to do because of the way as humans, right? I mean, somebody mm -hmm. kind of has to be in charge and it's hard to herd the cats and have everybody speak with a voice to produce something that is a workable plan. So how's it working out for you? So um, the honest answer is it's um, fulfilling and exhausting. Um, we average just right now with the first three coalitions, we have over 30 meetings per, per month, wow. right? On top of all of our other you know, programming, and it's worth it. Because, you know, after 10 years of the Wallace Project and, you know, self-checking my own ego, right, mm -hmm. which is what I do on Fridays, yeah. right, is I open myself up with the vulnerability of not knowing everything and learn from the best of the best. And that creates a ripple effect of more people being willing to pretend, stop pretending like they know everything and to listen deeply and expand the way they think about things. Um, what I realized was after the last 10 years, and I, I'm passionate about our programs, I am not in any kind of way, shape, or form apologizing away our murals, the Futures Fund, Baton Roots, all the MLK Fest work, but it's, it's like driving down the uh, I-10 and throwing a handful of pebbles into the Gulf. Yeah. Right. And I want to be part of something larger. I want to be part of legacy work that changes the city and our community. And you do that together, not mm -hmm. by yourself. And so every bit of effort that goes into it and the patience that it requires to find that collective power, um, it's the only way forward. And we're seeing it work. And the three coalitions that you have going at the moment are? The Capital Area Food Equity Coalition. Food equity. Fo focused on food insecurity and access to fresh and healthy food. Uh, the Education to Career Coalition, which is not just Head Start to 12. It also includes post-secondary. Um, I also run with Trey Godfrey from the mm. Baton Rouge Area Chamber, the Capital Region Workforce Ecosystem. So all of the private sector, all the, you know, the Board of Regents, the LTCTS, I think I said that right. That's um, the community college. Yeah, shout, shout out to them. Um, and you have everybody under, we, we say it's not a bigger tent. It's a, t a tenth the size of the Superdome, right? So the existing education coalitions, the existing work already on the streets, whether it's a decade or a few years, everyone is welcome to put that work together to be able to do coalition work without taking away from the individual organization's mission or even their own consortiums, like BRAIN, for instance, the Baton Rouge Area mm -hmm. youth, uh, youth Network, they're focused on the after-school space, but that after-school space for youth does impact the workforce yeah. of the future, right? So, And just real quick, 
yes. like in two words, is uh, any other cities doing this? No other cities are doing wow. this. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Amber, before we have to wrap up very soon, you all are expanding. Lighthouse has been so successful. You're growing still more. Yes. So we have an opportunity uh, to start roasting our own coffee. And um, really, really cool. One of our baristas is actually overseas. They were able to get into the country on a Lighthouse Coffee business visa. And he is doing language and culture study to hopefully be able to get into a more remote area and start a coffee farm. And so that is like the long-term dream is to be able to source like only direct coffee, but it could be through like Mm -hmm. some of our connections. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's farther down the road, but, but yes, we, we have an opportunity to move into a space close, close by. I won't, I won't give too many details because again, I was reined in. It's like, (laughs) wait, don't, don't share too much because it's, we don't have the lease yet and everything, but, um, but yeah, we are pursuing more space and a roasting room. Excellent. Close by. Excellent. Well, congratulations and good luck with that. And Amber Elworth and Casey Phillips, y'all are both doing such amazing work in this community. And it's really, really special and humbling to be able to share the table with you today. So thank y'all so much for taking time to share your stories and ideas with us today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Yes, thank you so much. My guests today have been Casey Phillips of the One Rouge Coalition and Amber Elworth of Lighthouse Coffee. We had to edit this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited version and learn more about Lighthouse Coffee and the One Rouge Coalition by going to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts, and you can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com.
and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com. 